Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to another live edition of the Direct Snap. <clears throat> Just me and my boy David West tonight. How you doing, tonight, Dave? I am doing wonderful. Thanks for asking, Joe. Um, been a little bit under the weather, but I've pushed through and I'm I'm still here. So I, I'm ready to talk some football. There's a lot to talk about. Oh, there is, there is. Especially we missed last week, so we didn't get to start about the start of free agency. We are in the thick of things, though. We've got Plenty of time tonight. We are uh, pretty much an open show, open forum tonight, guys. If you'd like to give us a call, give us a shout, 714-333-3302. That is toll-free. I can give us a shout, talk about whatever you want to, some of the signings, trades, potential signings, potential trades, the draft, anything you want to talk about tonight, we are open for discussion. I can also hit us up on Facebook.com backslash the official direct snap or at Twitter, our handle is at Direct underscore snap. Um, but <clears throat> things have been pretty, pretty crazy uh, these last few weeks, Dave. We've seen a lot of action, a lot of signings, trades. You know, for the first time in a while, <clears throat> we've actually seen some trades. We've seen some some players move, even, not just draft picks. You know, Tyler and I have talked about it a lot. The NFL doesn't get that, <clears throat> excuse me, that allure of player-for-player trades as much as you do in other sports. So it's been a very interesting offseason. It's honestly hard to even know where to start. Um, We'll start with a couple of the early early trades. Let's talk some of the trades. Um, Obviously, we won't spend too much time on the ones that you've all seen throughout the media and heard plenty of, but... We saw the Philadelphia Eagles being one of the first teams, <coughs> excuse me, to start off being incredibly active in free agency, starting with a preliminary agreement with the Miami Dolphins to trade cornerback Byron Maxwell and linebacker Kiko Alonso to the Finns in exchange for what at the time was unknown compensation. Um, that trade, Dave, obviously, as we both know, me being an Eagles fan, you a Dolphins fan. Definitely went through a little, a little more trickily than we expected. Uh, Maxwell had some questions about the shoulder, um, ended up causing a serious, serious doubt on whether or not this trade would be completed. Um, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not that meant the compensation had changed or what have you, but all said and done, the Dolphins and Eagles exchanged players for a first-round swap. The Dolphins will drop to number 13 overall, and the Eagles hop up to number 8. Dave, obviously, we have talked numerous, numerous, numerous times about this trade, about how we feel about it and the implications from it. But on the Miami Dolphins' side, how do you feel about this trade? You get two potential defensive starters. Obviously, Maxwell, 
definitely underplayed his contract. Uh, Kiko, still relatively cheap, but coming in injured for the last two seasons. Um, how do you feel about this? Well, you know, it was a trade that originally I was just like, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. But the Dolphins parting ways with Brent Grimes definitely led a big void. Uh, we don't really have an experienced secondary after that. Jamar Taylor hasn't lived up to his second-round draft pick. Then you throw Byron Maxwell into the mix. We need his presence, even if he hasn't played for his contract. Maybe he comes back out and plays really well. Now, honestly, I think Maxwell will be average to above average. I haven't seen him, you know, show flashes of brands. I was kind of more excited about Kiko Alonso, to be honest. If he can return back to his rookie form after having a sophomore slump, he could be a very good presence for that linebacking core that's been missing somebody like um, you know, we haven't had a linebacker thumper since Carlos Dansby, which that's other news got released by the Browns just yesterday. Uh, I'm more excited about Kiko Alonso, to be honest. Uh, Byron Maxwell, uh, yeah. Um, also, I think strategic-wise, the Miami Dolphins had this plan all along going into the combine. You know, it came to light probably three or four weeks after but this was being discussed at the Combine. I'm feeling like most teams got a good gauge on the top ten draft picks, and they felt like, you know, they all these guys are going to be top-tier guys. And then I think the Dolphins said, well, I feel like we can get our guy in the mid-round, maybe like Ezekiel Elliott, Vernon Hargreaves, um, Eli Apple. It was a strategic move. Uh, I don't know if that's going to come back to bite them in the butt, considering that Byron Maxwell, I think, is just above average. And, you know, you had a chance to possibly land one of the better prospects in the draft. I'm on the fence with the trade. I'm I'm not super supportive of it. But, you know, I think it did fit two needs that the Dolphins were definitely looking at. This it's funny. I actually, when this was all going down, I got on Twitter um, and I was pretty active in everything. And I even, I said on Twitter, I felt that for the Dolphins, the heart of the trade was Kiko Alonso. And I got a ton of flack from Dolphins fans who, at the time, didn't know what the heck they were, no offense, guys, didn't know what the heck they were talking about in terms of what you guys were getting back in compensation. Um, and I got heavily criticized, though, you know, why would why would a two-time injured linebacker be the heart of this trade, da 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 and I'll tell you why. Real simple, guys. Um, like you said, Dave, you expect at best average and maybe a little bit above average out of Byron Maxwell. I'm sorry, you don't. Teams in the NFL don't go out of their way to help a fellow team without trying to help themselves, guys. No team in their right mind is going to say, "Yeah, I'll take your most expensive defensive player and that injured linebacker to help you move up to number five. Why not?" Why not? I mean, we're now, right? No, that doesn't happen. The heart of this trade was Kiko Alonso to me for the Dolphins because of, like you said, Dave, the potential that's still there. Yes, he has been injured, but modern science has never been better. Modern medicine has never been better. And he still has a great chance to come back and flash. We saw when he wasn't in the Atlanta game and he was able to play, he was able to pick off Matt Ryan in the end zone. He was able to do dynamic things, but he just wasn't quite all the way healthy this year. So I think that 
I, I, I agree. I feel like no matter what, the way that you look at it, it to me the heart of this trade for the Dolphins was the, the possibility of getting a real thumper, a real talented linebacker back in the middle of that defense because, like you said, you haven't had it since Carlos Stansky. You guys, especially with the acquisitions, which we'll get to more in a little bit, on that front four, that having a guy like Hiko who can play in space because he's so athletic, having that front four be able to free him up to do whatever he needs to do, if he comes in healthy, he could very easily return to the rookie of the year Pro Bowl form that he was in his first season in Buffalo. So I feel that it's a little silly that people think that the Dolphins did this for almost no reason. Like, I legitimately got that feedback from a lot of guys who felt, why, you know, how is Kiko the heart of the trade? Guys, what else would it be? You got nothing from us other than two players. We didn't give you a draft pick. We got your draft pick. You moved back. So to me, that's what I see from it is that I, I agree. You know, Maxwell, he can come in, he can be a serviceable starter. He should be your number two. Could be your number one. I'm sorry if that happens. He plays okay. He's just inconsistent. He's very inconsistent. Um, but I think that overall, the Dolphins felt like you said, Dave. They felt that this gave them the potential of having two starters on defense. They didn't feel, obviously, they could acquire in free agency. They didn't feel that, obviously, at the eighth overall pick that they would be able to address both positions. And like you said, obviously to them making this move, they felt differently than the Eagles in terms of they feel they can find what they're looking for a little later in the round to save themselves a little bit of, of money on the cap for that because they will pay less than what the Eagles will pay at the eighth overall pick. But overall, I, I have to say I feel like the Eagles definitely came out better from the trade as of now. In two years, I could be seeing Maxwell and Kiko going to the Pro Bowl together with whatever guy they picked at 13. You never know. That's the beauty of the NFL. Um, but it was a, it was an interesting interesting trade indeed, and definitely one of the more drama-inspired trades uh, that we've seen in terms of the way it went down. That being said, the Eagles didn't stop there, Dave, as we know. We traded DeMarco Murray to the Tennessee Titans. We swapped fourth-round picks. Uh, that one, that one the Eagles took a a bit of a, a hit on the nose for. We we paid him. We cap-strapped ourselves last year. He played incredibly poorly, and then we got almost no return. Um, but overall, I think it was a smart move. But instead of focusing on the Eagles in this move, how do you think the acquisition of DeMarco Murray improves the Tennessee Titans, and do you think he can bounce back from, from that atrocious year last year? Do you just feel it was how – Tim and Chip Kelly and the staff mesh together, or do you think maybe DeMarco Murray may continue to slump? No, absolutely. I think he can bounce back. Um, you know, Tennessee needs a few more building blocks, offensive linemen, but they have the pieces in place to um, get back on track. Um, I think DeMarco Murray's excited to be there compared to Philly. They're just, it wasn't a good love. It wasn't Philly, the um, city of brotherly love, unfortunately. There just wasn't any mesh there. I just don't think it was a fit for him. I think originally he went in there saying, you know, Chip Kelly's doing everything thing right, but then the Chip Kelly story went sour quickly. And um, that's what kind of led to the dismay of, you know, 
DeMarco Murray. I think a new scene is definitely going to benefit him. Now, will he be the DeMarco Murray with the Dallas Cowboys a few years ago? Probably not, but he can be definitely be a top ten running back this year, um, possibly top five if he, you know, gets back to shape and understands that this Tennessee team is very young, but it's got a lot of good talent on it. I think that DeMarco Murray will be A-OK. I have to agree. Um, Philadelphia as a whole was just a mess last year. Um, I don't feel like you can put a lot of that on DeMarco Murray. Um, I think that the blame is definitely to be shared. He's still young. He's still a good running back. He definitely, to me, despite popular notion, was the best running back on our team last year. He just wasn't used properly by our former head coach. Um, But I think he'll bounce back with Tennessee for a couple of reasons. I think that Marcus Mariota will greatly benefit from a running back who can run the ball, which they haven't had since Chris Johnson's magical season, and it provides them a good set of hands out of the backfield, a, a, a security blanket of sorts for Marcus Mariota and the Titans. They have a young core offensively, then they add a veteran running back. Hopefully it doesn't – hopefully his presence doesn't cause any issues in terms of affecting the youth on that team. I've heard a few times, you know, he's not always the greatest locker room guy. Um, One of the cases last year that people will say, you know, and I'm just saying what I've heard, but – the Eagles, uh, it wasn't just the coach, apparently, that didn't mesh with DeMarco Murray. There were several players who directly called out DeMarco Murray in Philadelphia and uh, not necessarily being called out by him, but one reporter said they felt the writing was on the wall for DeMarco Murray before the season ever began when in spring practice Malcolm Jenkins had to bring a chair out for him to rest and sit out. And he was the only player to do that. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't necessarily think it's an indication of his success in Tennessee. I think, I think it was haste by both teams. I didn't want to admit that when it first happened, um, but I do. I think when the Eagles lost Gore and Murray's suitors weren't as available at the price that he wanted as he initially thought, both teams just kind of forced a match because they're all oh, Sam Bradford's here. Just come play with him. No, it didn't work out. Um, but I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting to see um, how he works out in Tennessee. I'm happy for him. I'm happy both parties were able to find a, a solution to this particular problem. Um, but Dave, we we had two more trades from another singular team, being the New England Patriots. Um, and, man, have they made some interesting moves this offseason, huh? Let's start with the one that really caught a lot of our eyes that happened yesterday. Um, was that yesterday or was it two days ago? Two days ago. Yeah, uh, or, yeah it was yesterday. Oh, it was yesterday. Okay. Um, the New England Patriots traded star pass rusher Chandler Jones to the Arizona Cardinals for a second-round pick in former first-round guard. Wow. Dave saved me here. Who? Who's the guard? Oh, go ahead, Joe. Who's the guard they acquired? Oh, uh, Jonathan Cooper. Thank you. Goodness gracious. As soon as I went to say his name, I blanked. 
former first-round pick Cooper um, to kind of plug in, try to, to, to provide depth along that, that front front uh, for the New England offense. But Chandler Jones joins a stacked defense in Arizona that did definitely need some pass rushers. Um, but I know this trade really caught a lot of our eyes for a couple of reasons. One, screen the hoodie trade. Managed to get a possible starting offensive lineman and the second second round pick in exchange for a player who, for some unbelievable reason, was smoking legal marijuana before the AFC Championship game last year. Um, that to me is why I believe they saw Chandler traded. That and he's going into the last year of his deal. They weren't going to pay him Olivier Vernon or Malik Jackson money. So to them, he was expendable. Um, I also think the Patriots are trying to send maybe a little bit of a message to the locker room where they're not going to tolerate some of the shenanigans that have happened over the last two seasons, three seasons. Um, but overall, I have a hard time trying to determine who wins this trade, Dave. What do you think? You know, equally, it's a pretty good trade, I think, in both um, facts. Uh, considering that the Patriots were probably aiming to get a first-round probably a first-round pick. Um, Obviously, they couldn't get one this year. They still possibly might. But, you know, considering they couldn't get it, that I think this trade benefits both parties. For one, Cooper still hasn't reached that potential. He's been hurt a lot. Uh, He only started 11 games in uh, 24. Um, He's played in 24. He's only started 11. That just tells me a lot that, you know, he's very injury-prone. But, you know, the Patriots usually have a good eye for talent. I think that they can get the best out of Cooper, and Cooper's a very good fit for that team. Um, Chandler Jones, as you brought up, had some issues. I think Bruce Arians usually gets the best out of players that typically, I guess, have some problem past or they just don't live up to expectations. Bruce Arians has a way to bring that out, that potential that, you know, obviously Chandler Jones, one of the better young stars in the league, but I still think he has obviously issues that I don't think New England wanted to deal with. Now, surprisingly, they left a huge void at pass rusher, and obviously they won't have a shot at any of the top guys in this draft. But I think it, it's a good fit for both parties. The Patriots should be okay without Chandler Jones, and I think the Cardinals will be okay without Cooper, um, both. Well, considering that Evan Mathis signed with the Cardinals the very next day, um, actually I think he signed earlier this morning, means pretty much that, you know, that that trade went through and it was kind of just, I don't know, it, it didn't really, they didn't really lose much. They swapped one guy for another and got um, a good pass rusher. And that's one of the key things that the Cardinals were looking for, and they just checked off a huge box for their offseason needs. There's one way, one way I see the Patriots in the long term winning this trade. Short term, like you said, pretty equal. Long term, I think the Cardinals come out better. Like you said, A, they replace him immediately, Cooper immediately with Evan Mathis, who's just a better quality player. Yes, I'm a homer about Mathis. I will always love Mathis. Um, Also, the Patriots, not with the same, maybe the same quality player, especially age, injury, et cetera but replaced Jones right away by signing former St. Louis and now Los Angeles Ram, Chris Long. Um, so when you when you think of that and you look at that, then it's not too hard to say that either team really, like you said, they've missed a step. And 
then you you kind of look at, okay, well, let's look at the long term. And here's how I look at the long term between this trade, is that the Patriots have a little bit of a spotty draft record. Um, they are one of those either hit and they soar and they have a great draft pick and they, you know, they do phenomenal, you know, guys like Gronkowski, uh, uh, Tom Brady, you know, obviously they've, they've done well in, in certain cases, but in many other cases, if you look documented through previous Patriot draft picks, there's a lot of times where the guys that they draft don't pan out. That's why you see the Patriots do so many of those, you know, trade deadline, sixth-round pick for some random incumbent linebacker or lineman or, you know, what have you, wide receiver, and it just works because they they acquire veterans who play, who have played, who are now used to the speed of the game, and they plug them in as opposed to rookies. So you look at that, and then I take a look at the fact that they have two second-round picks that are now back-to-back. They have 60 and 61. Kind of like Dave said, they could work their way back up into the first round, or they could sit stand pat and just literally go, okay, this guy and this guy. You know, It's a rare thing to have back-to-back picks that high up in the draft. Um, but also, like you said, you know, you're looking at not necessarily being able to get one of the elite edge players in this draft at that point. However, you could look to address or address wide receiver. You could look to address uh, offensive line. You could look to address defensive back. There are several different areas that the Patriots could look to address it, but it's the side of Chandler Jones. If Arizona gave up a second, I don't care about Cooper, if you want me to be completely honest. If they gave up a second-round pick for a one-year rental that doesn't result in a Super Bowl victory, then the Patriots win regardless to me. If they can lock up Chandler Jones and he becomes their perennial pass rusher for the next seven to eight, eight years, then in my opinion, there's no way the Cardinals don't win this trade. It's all very dependent on how the Patriots attack the draft and how the Cardinals are able to deal with the the, free, the impending free agent status of Chandler Jones. So I think that when you look towards the winner in two or three seasons, this will be one of those trades that is talked about for a long time. You know, like the Randy Moss trade, where he acquired Randy Moss and Obviously, we all know what Brady and Moss did. You know, maybe this ends up working and Chris Long has a career revival. They get two studs out of the second round or something, and they go on another three-, four-year reign of terror. Who knows? But it was interesting to see the Patriots make that kind of trade. They didn't stop there, Dave. They didn't stop there. Um, Obviously, you brought them up last time we were on live on the show, and that was Aaron Hernandez and and the Patriots were at the apex of their offensive success after Moss running that two tight end set with Hernandez and Gronkowski, and they were unstoppable. Well, apparently they decided after a few seasons they wanted to give it a go again because they swung a trade for full bowl tight end Martellus Bennett from the Bears. Oh, even just saying that, again, just hurts my soul. Um 
Dave, I've been talking a lot. I'm sure the guys want to, the, the fans would like to hear your thoughts on this Martellus Bennett trade. It's a huge deal. Uh, honestly, uh, people slowly forgot about Aaron Hernandez, and then it was the Gronk show. Well, there is one thing that bothers me about this whole thing, that it seems that certain players that go to the Patriots kind of die. And that's for most teams. Uh, just for some reason, tight ends die in New England. If you're not born and raised there, that you kind of just die out now. Is Martellus Bennett different? Yeah, very possible. You know, they were hoping Scott Chandler would step up last year, and he didn't do it. Um, and they've kept on written tight ends, written tight ends, written tight ends, and we haven't seen anyone really step up to the plate. But what makes Martellus Bennett different is that he had Jay Cutler throwing at him. Um, before, most of these guys were just, you know, simply guys that were just here and there. Um, it doesn't seem that there's going to be a drop-off in talent. We all know Tom Brady is top two, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. Yes, Dolphins fans, I just said it. But you have to admit it, it's true. I think it's going to bring a scary element to Tom Brady's offense without the fact that they still don't have a clear-cut number one receiver, Randy Moss type, I go up and get them. They have a whole bunch of possession guys. Maybe that's how the Patriots want to roll. But uh, inside draft source that they have been looking at a big-time target um, in the later rounds. So Martellus Bennett trade, I think New England's going to win out on this one. Obviously, they're building for a championship. Obviously, they're building for the, fu- um, the future. And obviously, Tom Brady wants to get more rings because this isn't just a flashy move. This move could be the difference between two or three more championships in the next few years. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel like it's definitely a gear towards, okay, we all know Tom Brady's probably got maybe two to four seasons left at most, and we're about to make the most of it. Um, and, and that, to me, it really, <laughs> it's, it's scary, uh, man, thinking about the possibility of the uh, healthy Martellus Bennett, a healthy Rob Gronkowski, a healthy Julian Edelman, and that Patriots offense. What cracked me up, though, honestly, and the only reason it cracked me up is because obviously nobody that's been there will have an issue, but it was the, well, now with these three players in the offense, you're going to have somebody unhappy about not getting enough enough passes. No, when you win – it cures a lot of ailments, guys, when that's what the Patriots do and that's what the players go there to do. You know, granted, maybe, yeah, I don't know if it was Martellus' first choice, but I'm sure he wasn't complaining. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, I agree with you. The, the Pats win this trade, hands down. There's no doubt in my mind that they win this trade. Um, and it, to me, just shows that you can never, you can never count out the brain trust in New England. It'll be really interesting to see what they do when this era is come and pass. Um, but that being said, oh, I wonder, Dave, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry, my internet's being really weird, so I thought I crashed and lost you guys. Um, but that being said. Um, am I missing any big time trades here, Dave? Was there anything else that we missed? 
I want to flirt with the possibility of um, let's talk about the Colin Kaepernick situation real quick because I know some sure. fans have hit me up, um, hit me up on Facebook about it. Not so much Drake Snap family, but just people in general. Um, you know, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm not the world's best NFL guru, but a lot of people put me up there for some weird reason. But um, the problem with that trade and the possibility of that trade is someone gulping the amount of Colin Kaepernick. When Colin Kaepernick hasn't reached anything in the last two seasons, no one wants to take a chance on that kind of money. And I'm surprised that San Francisco hasn't even released him because I think they're hoping that they're hoping that someone will give them something for him. But they're not going to take it simply based on the salary salary alone. That's a big cap goal. Now, I know the Broncos have looked at him. The Jets were looking at him, but that's definitely out the window now. We'll talk about what the Jet, who the Jets signed in just a few minutes. Um, I think with the Colin Kaepernick thing, I think his days are numbered. I'm still pretty, pretty solid and pretty convinced that San Fran's going to probably get a quarterback in this draft, someone to compete right away with Kaepernick, because Kaepernick will be there one way or another. I don't think they're going to cut him, because I think Chip Kelly's been wanting this kind of guy in the offense. Uh, it's super interesting. When you start off, let's let's clarify the first thing is that it's Kaepernick who wants to leave. The Niners necessarily aren't huge on letting him go for a couple of reasons. One, they just gave him a, a lot of money. Two, he is a second-round pick that they started to have a pretty decent return on until he lost all his confidence when they went and got rid of his head coach. Um, I think that's half the reason that they got to blame themselves, and I think that's why they don't want to necessarily give it up. And then under Jim Harbaugh, he was great. Under Jim Tom Sula, he was a joke. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, he didn't have a great season last year, but I think that was because you were seeing the deterioration of the relationship with Harbaugh and the team. But I agree. I just I don't see with Kaepernick's refusal to take any kind of pay cut, with no team seeing eye to eye, with the 49ers on his value, they want to recoup a second-round pick. Guys, we all know, we all know that in the NFL, you 99% of the time, you do not get out what you put into a player in terms of what you drafted him for. You know, not very often. If you drafted a guy at two, you get him back at the two. So it's one of those things where I agree. I don't think you're, there's any way you're going to see him not in a a San Francisco uniform next year. They, like you said, they may get somebody who will come in to compete with him. Um, but in the long term, I think he's going to be a Niner. He will be there. Um, it will be interesting to see what Chip Kelly does with his first legitimate mobile quarterback in the NFL, though. Do you think that that aspect of it will help translate to success for Kaepernick this year if he stays? If he stays, can you see this relationship working out? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I don't think it's a, a dead horse. You know, Obviously, the San Francisco front office believes in Chip Kelly. Obviously, they still have something for Colin Kaepernick. I think it could work out. I mean, there's still a few missing elements on that team, and they have a lot of young and up-and-coming guys. But, yeah, I do see this working out pretty well, definitely in San Francisco's favor. Now, can they keep up with other people in their division? 
More than likely not because, uh, you know, right now there's some big players in that division. But I think that San Francisco can be halfway competitive if they can figure out Colin Kaepernick. That's one of the biggest mysteries of that whole San Francisco team. Not so much what happened to their defense because there's still some very good players on that defense. Not so much what happened to their wide receivers and tight ends. There's still some good guys there. And not so much the running back situation. I think Hyde's still a very good up-and-coming player. But I think if San Francisco can get Colin Kaepernick figured out, that this will be okay. But this is Colin Kaepernick's last chance. I agree, and that's why, I don't know, Dave, you know how I feel, probably not how I feel. I'm one of the only guys I feel like eh, pretty much anywhere who isn't sold on Chip Kelly taking a quarterback in the first round. Guys, you can tell me all day long how badly the San Francisco 49ers need a quarterback, and I'll believe you. But I can tell you that Chip Kelly was my head coach for three seasons, and if you know how much an Eagles fan I am, you know how well I get to know my team. There is not a quarterback in this draft, in my opinion, that fits what Chip Kelly likes. And if there is, the closest one is Connor Cook, not Jared Goff. And if it's Connor Cook, he can get him later. He isn't going to take Connor Cook at seven. So I personally don't like Jared Goff, San Francisco. Yes, they have checked him out, but I think that was their insurance policy if they traded Kaepernick. I don't think Kaepernick goes anywhere. So I personally don't like a quarterback for San Francisco at seven. There are so many better no offense to Goff or Wentz or anything, but there is so much better value at that pick, at that number, than to choose a quarterback that doesn't even fit the head coach. I mean, I'm sorry, but that is purely – that's fact. I mean, I know Chip. There's no – there's not – there was only one guy he wanted last year, and he went for a polar opposite in Sam Bradford. And as you saw, it didn't work. So, to me, I don't see it. Colin Kaepernick – between the free agents available, the guys in the draft, and the people on this team, Colin Kaepernick is the best fit for what Chip Kelly will want to do with this team and this offense. And I agree with you. The, the talent is there. And if they can avoid having to blow the number seven pick on a quarterback, they can add a game-changing talent to their team this year. And that's huge. So I, I agree with you. I think Kaepernick's there. I think a quarterback even is in play in the second or third round. You know, Hackenberg, a, a Cook. A Cook, I think, is still the guy to me that is the Chip Kelly guy, um, if there was one in this class. But I, I think that they need to focus on using that number seven pick in a different direction. Um, that being said, though, guys, we have about 55 minutes left tonight. If you want to give us a shout, 714-333-3302. Give us a shout on Facebook. Facebook.com backslash the official direct snap, or give us a little Twitter action at direct underscore snap. Um, those are some of the bigger trades we saw. Obviously, like I said, we don't get the luxury of getting to see the trades, um, players being moved, uh, stuff like that does not happen too terribly often. So it's fun when it does, but free agency, Dave. We all know it. We all know we all are excited for it every year. The, the best names, where do they go? Who do they sign with? Uh, this has been one of the most extravagant spending off seasons we've seen in quite some time. Um, there were two players in – no, okay, no, let me count that. One, two, three, four, at least four players who, in my opinion, in no way, shape, or form merited the amount of money that they got. Uh, it's only going to make things harder and harder for teams in the future. 
Um, I've, if anybody knows me, they know how much I hate these contracts. I hate these ugly things. They're unfortunately a necessary evil in today's NFL, but it jacks up a team's salary cap. It jacks up a roster. 98% of the time, they sign a player to the field. They don't live it out. They don't stay with the team. It's just I don't like them. Um, but unfortunately, it is what it is. This is the NFL we live in. Let's talk about some of the biggest signings this there thus far and discussing some of the winners and losers of free agency along the way. Um, obviously, if you're going to talk about the two men who got paid more than anybody, uh, you're going to be talking about the defensive end, Malik Jackson, former Denver Bronco and now current Jacksonville Jaguar. And I will say both of the contracts disgusted me, but Olivier Vernon, $85 million from the Giants. Fifty-some-odd um, million guaranteed for Olivier. Uh, Jackson, I believe, got a little bit less. Um, but these two boys got paid. Paid. Um, that being said, Dave, I know, obviously, you know OV well. Uh, he played on your team for quite some time. Give me, give me honesty, man. If you really think it, I'll even, I can accept it. Can you really tell me a guy like Ovi is worth eighty-five million dollars? Uh, well, as an inspiring general manager and a guy that uh, has played countless and millions of hours of um, Madden and head coach, and if any of you guys play NFL head coach, I, I, I would like to see you have a better record than me. That's a challenge, but um. Just to put that in perspective, to me, I thought Olivier Vernon was an above-average pass rusher. He had some nice flashes. He had a great motor. He got the stuff done. But $85 million, honestly, if I were a general manager, I would have offered him probably about half that. Just saying. And he would have walked out the room just like, you're crazy. Well, someone else will pay for you. I can go in the draft and develop another guy that you mean, remember, Olivier Vernon was a mid-round pick, and he turned out to be pretty good. I mean, it happens all the time. So do I like the money? No, I, I think it's outrageous, and it's way too expensive. Uh, you should build your team through the draft and hit your number one name, maybe in free agency if you have the pocket cash. But $85 million, that's a little bit thats a little bit steep for my blood, Joe. Hey, man, I absolutely agree with you. I Don't get me wrong, good players, you know, solid. And even then, probably the two best at their position in free agency can even go as far as agreeing with that. I can't agree with giving a guy who's had one double-digit sack season $85 million. Can't, can't give it to a guy like Lee Jackson either who – his best season was this season playing behind or with the most talented defense that he's ever played with. I just, I get it. I get that. Like I said, I get it's a necessary evil even. I understand that. But now, now, Von Miller, he's not going to take less guaranteed money than Olivier Vernon because there's no way you can tell me I'm not as good, if not three times better than Olivier Vernon. No, we know that. We know that. But, it it doesn't matter anymore. It as sad as that is, it doesn't, and it's just going to cause the whole. Well, I want to be the highest paid defensive player. I want to be the highest paid this guy. I want to have the most guaranteed this, the most guaranteed that. 
I understand even that for these players, you know, it's not always being selfish, but in my opinion, it really is. And, and a lot of it, too, is the agents behind it who always get a cut of these deals. But it's just such a bad thing, in my opinion, for the league. It's why your tickets are $300 for a nosebleed section. It's because of the demands of these players and how much more expensive everything gets. And in that being said, I just I just don't like the deals, man. I think they're, they're bad for the game. I think they're really bad for for stability. I think they're bad for competitive balance. You know, there are some teams that you just can't get. You just can't get. And and I think that that is a, a big portion of why I hate these deals. Is, is I just don't think it's good for for anything. Um, so let me talk about Joe, what. Just let me add something real quick. Um, I do think the Giants did do something that I actually support, and actually I was somewhat surprised considering um, the situation that we all know was kind of awkward last year, and that's JPP. You know, he had a kind of a prove-it deal after getting re-signed, and then the fireworks incident and this and that. Well, I think that when the Giants stepped up to actually give him the more – give him another chance, kind of speaks louder than words. You know, they've lacked another pass rusher across from him, then they get Olivier Vernon to get, uh, I guess, JPP more help. But, you know, he stayed with the Giants. I mean, yeah, it's for $10.5 million. That's huge. Um, I think the Cardinals were after him. But just to speak volumes for the front office for the the Giants, even after, you know, Tom Coughlin being gone and, you know, some of the old blood being gone, that they step up to JPP and commit to him, actually, I think is, huge for JPP's confidence and that defense. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And not only that, but, but Pierre Paul has already come out and said that he won't have to play with the club on his hand next year. He's able to grip the bar to do bench press again. He's, he's showing that this is an injury that he will be able to physically come back from. And so I think that's huge as well. Um, and at the same time, I agree in the sense that I, I commend them for sticking through with it and not, you know, just turning their back on their player. But at the same time, they might have, you know, kind of bit themselves a little bit in terms of if he goes out and balls out next year, he's going to command the money of the guy playing on the opposite side of him, and you can't afford to pay both. So it'll be interesting to see how that particular scenario plays out. Um, we have a couple more moves, too, for the Giants that we will hit in a little bit. I'm actually going to kind of go down – uh, the list here, courtesy of Spotrack, um, for some of the signings. But talking about a guy, Dave, who got overpaid for, for the uh, sample size of work that he has provided, and arguably the most surprising move of the offseason, former Denver Broncos quarterback Brock Osweiler left the only team he's ever known after being you know, under the guidance of Peyton Manning and John Elway, an incredible defense. Money talks, right? $72 million sure does over four years for Brock Osweiler to become the new starting quarterback, likely new starting quarterback, of the Houston Texans. Um, this is an absolutely atrocious deal. No doubt in my mind, never Unless Brock Osweiler wins the Super Bowl in the next four years, there's no way to me you can justify this, this signing, this money. 
Um, there, were, there were quarterbacks that could fit the scheme and fit Bill O'Brien, including his former guy, Christian Hackenberg, Connor Cook. Um, they were, you know, they, there were other options available, to, in my opinion. I understand that, you know, maybe you're, you're making a move for your job, um, but no matter what, you're making a move for your job regardless. You know, you, starting a rookie, starting Hoyer, starting Osweiler, in my opinion, are all almost the same risk. You're paying a, a guy for seven games that literally, when you put it up against the first seven career starts for Brian Hoyer, are almost identical. Almost identical. Difference? Brock had probably four times better defense than any one that Brian started on for his first seven starts of his career, which, guys, was at least one of them in Cleveland. Yes, Houston's great. J.J. Watt is one man, though. He's got a whole defense. Um, but there was no question that Denver's defense was the best defense in football last year. He struggled mightily to move the ball. He struggled mightily to finish drives. Hey, and honestly, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Brandon McManus racked me up more fantasy points during Brock Osweiler starts at any point in the season. But that should tell you something. And I think it's ugly, man. I, I, to me, I think this is an egg on O'Brien's face. And to be completely honest, it's this, this is the signing that cost him this job. What do you think? In what regard? I mean, you brought up a few but names there, Brock. How do you feel about the signing in general? I mean, do you think this is a a successful pairing? I mean, do you like uh, this kind of deal for a kid that's not even started a full season? Well, with me, what I was confused about is why would Brock leave a team that pretty much he was in, you know, just the whole – he had the keys in his hand to be the starting quarterback. Uh, Why would he leave something like that when you have – so many different weapons on the offense. I mean, they did let go of Owen Daniels, and, you know, Denver Broncos definitely took a huge step back after last year. That's beside the point. Uh, I'm just – I'm curious of why pretty much that, you know, I think John Elway was willing to – and why would you leave John Elway beside that? You know, John Elway has been through the business, and he did the business. So why would Brock leave was a little confusing. I, I know Houston – Craving to find a quarterback, and he should be the starting quarterback considering he got paid a gazillion dollars just to be a decent starter. I mean, no, he got paid bank just to be be the guy. So, um, yeah, it was a little – if I were Brock, I would have stayed put. Because, you know, <laughs> looking at the the possibility for him to actually be the factor. But uh, whoever comes in is going to have to learn everything all over again. And, you know, Mark Sanchez definitely, I'm not banking on Mark Sanchez and I'm not banking on um, Trevor Sillman. I mean, yeah, he's decent. But, you know, it's just confusing, the whole thing. It really is, especially when there was reports that Denver offered $16 million a year. In retrospect, that's $8 million less probably on the total contract. Denver was going to be willing to pay him like a four-year, 64, 60 to 60, probably 60 to $65 million deal. That's a hell of a lot of money. 
and to, 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 like you said, spurn the only team you know that's got John Elway as your GM. You learned under Peyton Manning. You have Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, you know, Chris Harris, T.J. Ward, Keith Tlaib, you know, like you said, Emmanuel Sanders. You got Demarius Thomas. T.J. Anderson is back. He came back uh, after, unfortunately, Miami losing out on that that particular signing. Um, but yeah, I agree. It was very peculiar, and that's why I think, to me, it's a move that, in my opinion, Bill O'Brien just put every single bit of his job security behind this contract. O'Brien must feel like there's something in this kid that he can get this done because if not, in my it's his job. You just dropped an absurd – and I understand, again, it's the market we live in. You can blame Philadelphia for that, for giving Bradford $18 million over two years to be just as average as he's been his entire career. But Bradford's been in the league a long time, and people still see the potential. <laughs> but I, it's like I said, you know, it's that age that we live in, but I just don't like it for a guy who barely started that many games, who, who turned – I wouldn't say turned his back. It's a business. You know, he, he was sad. I mean, he got sad for Peyton when the playoffs came because he wasn't playing well. But left, left a franchise that, in my opinion, like you said, Dave, just seemed to be on a better foundation than Houston. And, and it was very peculiar. Like I said, this is the biggest surprise to me of this, this particular offseason. Um, but let's hit two more splurge moves by the Giants before we're kind of just going to list off some of the signings and talk about some of the winners and losers uh, to, to finish out the night here. But the Giants the Giants were a big spender in this, and we'll all talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the Giants, Dave, we already talked about the Olivier Vernon deal. Well, then they followed that up by signing LA, former L.A. Rams corner Janoris Jenkins to the second richest corner deal currently in the league at a five-year, $62.5 million deal. Um, Trenorce is a great corner, though. He's definitely, you know, you look at the $63 million corner that was traded to Miami and the $63 million corner that was signed in New York, I'd take the one in New York over the one we just sent to Miami any day. Um, But, again, I think that it's overpaying for a guy like Trenorce Jenkins. In my opinion, he is not a top-five corner, and you just pay him like a top-two corner. Um, But we know it's like you said, Dave, the Giants, you know, JPT, Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, the guy we'll get to in a second. Very obvious that the the Giants are trying to get back to what won them two championships, and that's dominant defense. Do you think the addition through the addition through free agency, though, you know, do you think these moves are going to pan out for the Giants' defense next year? I guess is what I'm getting at. Let's say you know, obviously they added the guy Damon Harrison Snacks from the Jets to a big five-year, forty-six million dollar deal. So you got David Harrison, Janoris Jenkins, Olivier Vernon, JPP resigned. I mean, do you think all these moves are going to translate into the success that they're hoping for? Well, there's a current trend that usually if you overspend in free agency, that it comes back to bite you because none of these guys to work out. Not saying not all of them will, but maybe one of them out of the four might do something. But it's just a continuing trend. You overspend their free agency, you leave your banks dry. Usually it doesn't work out in the long run. Obviously it shows, uh, and I'm sorry to bring this up, Joe, it didn't work for your Eagles very well. There was maybe one or two players that did okay with it. 
can I drop an amazing stat on you, though? Sure, go for it. Okay, so it goes right along with what you're saying. As you pointed out, it's actually statistically true. They've proven that out of the top five teams, I think since they took it since 2010 or 2011, the top five teams to spend the most money in free agency, every single one of them except for one has had a sub-500 record during that stretch. The only team... Philadelphia Eagles, the only ones who have managed to win while still being absolutely crazy in free agency. But like you said, Dave, it has definitely not always worked out like you were saying. So go ahead and continue. Yeah, it just doesn't work out. Overspending leads to, you know, financial, just burning later, and then you got to cut guys, and then it's awkward. Um, the teams that play it right, uh, I think, are Jacksonville and Oakland. They had three big needs. Both teams had three big needs. And guess what? They saved up their money in the last few years. Everyone's just like, oh, Oakland's not doing anything. Oh, they cashed in very good, and so did Jacksonville. Um, These teams did it smart and efficiently, and they're going to continue to build through the draft. That's how you build a team, and that's how you build championships. Um, You know, yeah, you can get your pieces in place. Um, The Broncos, yeah, they got their pieces in place. But that defense was primarily built from scratch. That defense wasn't just, you know, a whole bunch of random signings. Um, you know, a few years ago they needed another pass rusher across from Bond Miller. They got DeMarcus Ware. Uh, they needed some help in the secondary. Uh, they spent a little bit, and they got T.J. Ward. I mean, you can spend a little bit each year, but you can't go a major overhaul. Even if you had $50 million under the cap, you can't expect to just – come back and have a super season, particularly with guys that, A, this is their first year with a franchise that they may have never been a part of, so they don't know the culture. B, the chemistry is different in every locker room in the NFL. The Jaguars' chemistry in the locker room could be totally different than, you know, the Giants. And three, that the coaching. I mean, that's everything. I mean, when you go from one coach to another, usually you're drawn to the coach, not the GM. The GM's just throwing the deal on the table and say, hey, we'd love to have you here. And, you know, they can come and see what it's about. But usually it's the relationship with the coach. And it might take a few seasons for guys to get used to it. So overspending in free agency is a dangerous approach to build a team. It can work in certain ways, but you have to be smart about it. I absolutely agree. I don't know. I I personally think, like I've already said, that the the OV deal is not going to be one that lasts. I don't think Vernon will end up being there all all those years and making all that money in New York. I think he eventually gets cut or moved or takes a pay something. Um, and the other one, honestly, I feel like is Snacks. I, I love Snacks. He's a dominating inside guy but they're going to need to move money in a few years, and he's going to be the easiest contract to do it with. So I feel like, like you said, it it creates an awkward situation because, like you said, at some point you need to move money, and the money that you move are the guys with the giant contracts. So it it makes it a little awkward. (laughs) Um, But you brought up two teams that, like you said, seem to do it right and have probably come out as – arguably two of the biggest winners this offseason. And we're going to start with a team that we on the direct snap have all been 
big fans of, uh, big followers of, um, and they have had one heck of an off-season, Dave. Like you said, they, they had some needs. They addressed them. One of them obviously was pass rusher. They signed Malik Jackson, uh, that massive deal. They also attacked so many positions, though, in such good ways. Um, they re-signed their punt, or they didn't re-sign. They signed uh, Carolina's punter, Brad Norman, on a team-friendly deal. They signed running back Chris Ivory, who finally was probably the best running back they've had in town since NJD, had a great year with the Jets last year, going to come in and work behind this offensive line, work with Blake Bortles and this impressive young core and give them a bruiser of a running back to, to pair with T.J. Yeldon so they can just punish defensive line. Then they snagged former Giants corner Prince Amukamara on a one-year prove-it deal to, if healthy, significantly improve that secondary. Uh, to go along with Prince Amukamara, they also signed former Brown safety Tashawn Gibson to a, I want to say it was right around $35 million deal. Gibson, who missed last most of last season with injury, obviously, hoping to bounce back healthily. But if healthy, led the, the NFL in interceptions in 2014 with eight. So he's the ball hawking safety that they've been missing. Um, but that being said, that's not the only move they've made. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, also made a huge move the other day in in sneakily signing former Steelers left tackle and left guard Kelvin Beecham. Um, And they signed Beecham on a very interesting deal, but honestly a team-friendly deal. Um, And if, if he comes back healthy and plays at the level that he did in Pittsburgh, the Jags have shored up uh, that, not that side, but they've shored up the left tackle position. They could move Joko back to right tackle where he'd be more comfortable, and then they could fully utilize both assets, which would be a dream come true for Coach Gus Bradley. But the deal for Kelvin Beach and Davis will really, really impressed me with the Jaguars. It's a one-year $4.5 million deal. I'm sure it's got some incentives in there to increase it. But a one-year $4.5 million deal for base salary and then a team option for four-year $40 million deal after the fact. Um, so that way, Beecham comes and he plays, and he plays incredibly impressive. They pick up that option. They lock him in four years, $10 million a year. Uh, for a left tackle who could be a pro bowler, that's a bargain. Um, if he comes in and you know, if he stays healthy but struggles, Oh, well, that was a $4.5 million rental. Thanks anyway. We'll try this again with a new guy. Out the door, save $10 million in cap, $11 million in cap. So I was so impressed. I've been incredibly impressed by, by uh, Caldwell's moves for the Jags uh, this offseason. He has, much like Reggie McKenzie in Oakland, who we will talk about next, has been incredibly impressive with his moves. Um, We've talked about Malik Jackson, not so huge on the contract, but out of all of the moves that the Jags made, what stood out to you about their offseason? Just in general, like how efficient they were to make sure that they hit the spots they needed. Uh, you talked about they, they had a lot of um, low-risk, high-reward potential contracts, and if they work out, well, great, then you have a guy in charge. But if not, then, you know, 
I think that potentially this team could creep up in that division to honestly be playoff bound. Um, I've heard that all today. And also I, I just think that they they have the capability to make this team even stronger with the draft. And a good free agency always leads to a good draft. They usually build on something even better. And that's why I like the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Malik Jackson deal was a little bit um, heavy for my blood, but, you know, I'll let it pass. And sometimes you have to overspend for the guys you absolutely want. I guess they absolutely wanted this guy. So I do applaud their effort. If you wanted me to um, A through C or A through F scale, I'd give them a B plus. <clears throat> yeah, and, and that's saying something because that's one of the highest grades out of any of these teams this year. Um, but I just I guess what stood out to me is that the move seemed like you said about both these teams, Dave. Is they seemed calculated to attack the need in a way that should be beneficial. You know, they they shored up pass rusher. They they got some much needed secondary help. They've added a guy who should help shore up that offensive line, a running, a three-down running back. Uh, you know, just pretty much every little piece around that they weren't able to establish through the draft, like guys with Bortles and and Robinson and Hearns and mm-hmm. and uh, Telvin Smith on the defensive side of the ball, and also getting Dante Fowler back this year, who will be able to come in and not necessarily have to to be the be all end all of pass rushers for the team. Now he can come in and work his way in with Malik Jackson. So I was very impressed. I'm gonna give him a slightly higher grade. Actually, I would go with a, uh, a solid A. Honestly, I really like it. Yes, they paid. They overpaid and they gave an absurd amount of money to Malik Jackson, but their other deals were very conservative to me, and that made up for it. Um, so that's why I give him a little bit of a higher grade. Um, but these Oakland Raiders, Dave, like you said, these, these guys were not to be counted out either as winners of the offseason. Reggie McKenzie, like you said, by this time, he he saved up the cap space. They drafted well, getting guys like Carr, Cooper, Knack. You know, they, they, they've done well over the last few seasons, and now was the, was the time to attack. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of signings to get to. If you had to pick one of the the your favorite signing by the Raiders this off season, which one would it be? I have to go with Bruce Irvin because uh, the Raiders have been looking for that extra pass rusher to pair with Khalil Mack, who's being freak of nature lately. I, I think uh, Bruce said it well. Honestly, um, I hate to put it that way, but that he was kind of stunted in that defense, and I'm thinking he can probably hit that next level of play going to Oakland where he can be a pro, um, a free roam player and, you know, be a pass searcher and be what he saw him at West Virginia. So I, I, that was my absolute favorite signing. I did enjoy the other ones. They did serve their purpose extremely well, and Reggie McKenzie did a great job doing that. But I have to give it to Bruce because Bruce Irvin, I think, is the other compliment piece that that defensive line needed. I definitely like the Bruce Irvin signing, especially because they're not likely to resign Alden Smith, at least not until he's reinstated. Um, he is a free agent. He is suspended. Uh, won't be able. He's not eligible to return, I believe, until November because he immediately started serving a suspension last year. Um, 
but for me, as much as you know, as anybody knows, as much as I appreciate a good offensive line, for me it was the stealing of Sean Smith from Kansas City. Um, Smith, once he got back from the suspension, uh, paired up to, to to be one of the most impressive corner combos last year with rookie Marcus Peters. And Peters definitely, I feel, was played better than Smith last year, but Smith, Smith is no slouch. He's an impressive corner. He adds a much-needed one in the secondary for Oakland, who has struggled to have any semblance of a good cornerback since Charles Woodson. Let's be honest. They, 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 they have no, no, my mistake. Namdi Asimov. Asimov was very impressive while he was in Oakland. That's where he, he built his name. Um, but they haven't had anybody since Namdi who's been really any good. So I love the Sean Smith signing. You take a division rival. They can't keep him. Now he gets to play his old team twice a year. With that extra motivation, you get a huge improvement in the secondary. Um, so to me, that that was my favorite uh, signing for the Raiders. But uh, coming in close second is definitely those other deals like uh, Kaleche Assemble. They definitely gave him a ton of money, um, $60 million. He technically is a guard. Uh, a lot of people did expect him to move to tackle, but the reason I say it is a little bit of money is because they did re-sign their left tackle bottle 10. Um, he has returned to the team, so they do have depth. <clears throat> they didn't let him get away and get to another team. So I definitely thought that was a solid one, too. And I, I like that they brought back Andre Holmes. Um, giving giving some semblance of of continuity for quarterback Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Um, and I also like that they were smart in letting guys like Jamarcus Webb, Rod Streeter, Taylor Mays all leave. You know, they didn't try too hard or pay too much to keep guys that they didn't need to keep on the team. Um, so I, I definitely thought that that was also really really solid by the Oakland Raiders. Um, in my opinion, definitely probably uh, my number two for winners of the, the free agency. I give them the B+. Plus. What do you give them, Dave, if you had to grade them? I would definitely have to give them an A. I, I know you're generous to Jacksonville, but I'll be generous to Oakland. I've been kind of on the Oakland bandwagon for a few years now just because I could see something special in the making. You know, Derek Carr's getting protection. Um, you know, they got Amari Cooper last year. They've had some offensive flash. Uh, Derek Carr, obviously, is the real deal. Khalil Mack, their defensive guy. You hit it pretty solid with saying they haven't had really a secondary corner um, since 90. Uh, yeah, Charles Woodson was back there. But, you know, Charles Woodson got it done. Now there's that huge void. Tyron was pretty good at one time, but he kind of fizzled out a little bit. So, I'm waiting for that linebacking core to step up, which I think they have some really good young players that are going to be fine. And then I think they're secondary. They just need a little bit more, and they're going to be pretty dangerous. I agree. I think that this is definitely a team that's going to move in the right direction next year and try to take advantage of you know, Denver losing some guys, KC losing some guys. Uh, they're going to try to, to, to make their move on this division next year. Um <clears throat> That being said, though, we're going to kind of spend just the rest of the show here just kind of talking about single signings with teams and players and impacts. Um, we have about 20 minutes left of the show, guys. We're going to give us a call from the one four three 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 zero two. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com backslash the official direct snap 
And of course, you know, is you know, rock them Twitter thumbs at direct underscore snap. Um, you look at the signings this year, like I said, a lot of them were rich for my blood, but I loved a lot of the signings this year in general. So kind of just going to go down the list. We're going to hit some signings. We'll we'll talk about some a little bit more than others. Um, try to not focus too much about going in the direction of the team, but just talking about the, the, the individual signings. Um, we covered a lot of them. One of them, um, uh, we definitely saw an exodus of guys from Cleveland this year, one of them being Alex Mack, who put himself back in the free agent market this year. However, didn't end up in Jacksonville, didn't end up in Cleveland, ended up in Atlanta. Five-year, $45 million deal. I really like this deal. I think it gives Atlanta a much improved um, portion of their offensive line, especially for quarterback Matt Ryan. Um, they know that they've got – they've still got the decent window, but they need to start becoming much more competitive if they look to win a championship in the Matt Ryan era. Um, what do you think? What do you, how, do you, how do you grade the, the Mac signing? How do you like that? Uh, which one again? I kind of broke up there. Alex Mack to the Falcons. Oh, Alex Mack to the Falcons. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge move. Uh, Devontae Freeman uh, needs more running lanes. I think that, you know, Ryan, Matt Ryan was on his back a little more last year. You have Alex Mack, who's, you know, a top flight center in this league. I think that since um, Peter Kranz hasn't been quite what they had hoped, I think that he can go right away and be that anchor that Matt Ryan kind of needs on that offense. I completely agree. I completely agree. Move on to another signing here. Marvin Jones, former Cincinnati Bengal wide receiver, moved on, goes to the Detroit Lions to try to fill the void, which he won't, but try to fill the void of Megatron, who confirmed his retirement. Five-year, $40 million deal for Marvin Jones. I like it. <clears throat> Gives a good running mate um, for Golden Tate and Matt Stafford. I think that they complement each other well. Um, what do you think? How do you, how do you like that one? You know, I think it's a solid thing. You know, it's going to be hard to fill those shoes. Um, Megatron, you know, Megatron definitely one of the best to play in the last decade. So I think the Lions got a good one. It's going to be a good – um, to be paired with uh, Golden Tate uh, should be interesting, to say the least. Absolutely. It'll be, be interesting to see how well Jones can do in a <clears throat> legitimate number two role. Um, Eagle signed Texans guard Brandon Brooks. Um, pricey, five, five-year, $40 million deal, but necessity. Um, guys battled J.J. Watt the last few years, now quite Fletcher Cox, so hopefully he'll just continue to get better. Um, definitely excited about that guy. Excited about the deal. Looking forward to having that improved piece uh, in the middle um, for whoever's running the ball next year. Um, New Orleans Saints pluck Kobe Fleener from the Colts. Add that tight end threat, that pass-catching tight end threat that Drew Brees has missed since Jimmy Graham. He made Ben Watson look really good last year, but it definitely helped to have a guy with a little bit more spry and athleticism. Nice signing. I definitely like that one. Gonna keep moving on a little bit though. Um, hit one more quick Philly signing. The Philly also signed safety Rodney McLeod from the LA Rams, coming to pair with uh, Malcolm Jenkins. He's gonna be a little bit more of the brute force to Malcolm's technical finesse. Um, it'll be, I think, an incredible pairing. Definitely looking forward to it. 
Um, Mitchell Schwartz left the, the, the Browns. Like I said, a little bit of an exodus from the Browns. He moved down to the Kansas City Chiefs, five-year, $33 million deal. Not bad for them. They lost a few linemen. Um, but the other one that I want to talk about real quick here is Mohamed Sanu, also Cincinnati Bengal wide receiver, leaves the team, joins the Atlanta Falcons on a five-year, $32.5 million deal based. Um, Cincinnati let both these guys walk. Obviously, they feel confident about either replacing them or the depth that they have. But how do you feel about, you know, the Falcons? They cut Roddy White this offseason, obviously, franchise, you know, leader in, in yards and receptions and I believe even touchdowns. Um, but, you know, longtime Falcon leader, hasn't re-signed. They restate, uh, replace him with Muhammad Sanu. How do you like that that Jones new pairing for this Atlanta team, who also brought in Alex Mack, et cetera? How do you, how do you like that signing? I think it's a a solid sign. You know, Sanu is a guy that I don't think has fully reached his potential, but you know, I think that he will bring a definite element to that offense that is well needed. Friday White departing, yeah, hurts Falcons fans. I think they're more relieved that he hasn't signed with anyone else, even though. Roddy White, if he's hungry enough, I think he'll sign with the team, a Super Bowl contender team. Um, but he'll always be a Falcon no matter what. So, you know, Falcons fans, don't worry. He'll come back home one day. But um, I think the Sanu signing is wonderful. I think they need to load up on that offensive side of the ball. Don't be surprised if they draft someone to, to compete. Um, they're trying to build that team back up because – it, it failed to live up to expectations last year, and I really think that the Falcons franchise, obviously still having, you know, Quinn just being only his third season coming up uh, or his second season. Is it a third or second season, Joe? Third? For Quinn. Quinn, Dan Quinn, this will be a second season. Yeah, this would only be a second season. So there's still some learning stuff. That defense needs to get better. I'm surprised they didn't pour more money on that defense, honestly. But uh, I think uh, the signing of uh, – oh, man. I went, mine went uh, – Muhammad Sanu, I think it's an excellent way to continue to beef up for Matt Ryan to give him more weapons. Absolutely. I think it's a great signing, too. I think it's a nice, legitimate, too. Young should really help Julio Jones, Devonta Freeman, Matt Ryan – the Falcons, like you said, this was a team at one point that was 13-3 and three and was in talks each year for being an NFC contender, and they've, they've fallen off sharply. Um, so I'm starting to, to, like you said, rebuild quickly. Now you necessarily rebuild, but restock, reload, and make another run at the playoffs. <clears throat> Continuing on, we saw the Bucks, as always, overpay for average offensive linemen when they signed <clears throat> J.R. Sweezy to a five-year, $32.5 million deal. The Texans responded um, from losing Brandon Brooks by signing former Chiefs lineman Jeff Allen to a four-year, $28 million deal. They definitely got a little bit uh, less money involved there, but not a ton. Um, Alex Boone left the Niners to head on over to the Minnesota Vikings to bolster that line for Teddy Bridgewater and company. Uh, it'll be interesting. The Vikings have had a quieter than expected offseason, I think, from a lot of people. Um, you know, Boone being one of the few signings. They cut Mike Wallace. 
um, who then signed on with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I will say, let's talk about that actually real quick, David. Wallace, cut by the Vikings after a disappointing season. Um, He had two, as you know, guys, two disappointing seasons in Miami um, after all the promise and and allure from his years in Pittsburgh with Ben. Signs with Flacco. uh, Makes some comments about needing a good QB. Um, Never shocking when Mike Wallace puts his foot in his mouth because Teddy Ridgewater is a fine quarterback um, and and no slouch. He's a, a good quarterback. But Mike Wallace's skills are intended for a guy like Joe Flacco. Um, uh, Flacco is one of, if not the best deep ball in the league. Mike Wallace with some of the best burners in the league. They just need to spend some time getting on the same timing. Um, but do you think that we could finally, finally, maybe, see the Mike Wallace that got that $40 million deal from Miami years ago and the Mike Wallace that came from Pittsburgh? Well, there's a maybe for everything, Joe. Um, I think this might be the year that, you know, the maybe comes to life. That Ravens offense just added an extremely electric player, even though as Dolphins fans we cover our ears every time we hear Mike Wallace um, dropped passes, so on and so forth. But when you come into an offense that has so many different weapons for Flacco already, you know, yeah, they got Bashar Perryman in the draft last year, Steve Smith coming back for one more time. Uh, that offense is pretty exciting now. They do need a running back that they can heavily just go to other than Justin Forsett, and they need some offensive line help. Um, losing Kim Dichie, really, not Kim Dichie, wow. Um, hold on, help Assembly. me with his name. Assamole, yeah, Assamole. Uh, that that's going to hurt a lot because that was the uh, you know the anchor for that offensive line. But will Mike Wallace come out to have 1,500 yards this season? I don't think so. I think he'll have a good 800 yards this season, probably about 50 something catches. He will be a main factor in that offense. Now, will he be the guy? I don't think so. But he'll have a very good season. I agree. I think he could be between that 800 to 1,000 range. It'll all depend on the health of the other two players, too. Obviously, with Perriman and Smith both missing large portions of last year due to health issues, that'll that'll be a large factor in how much Mike Wallace sees targets in this offense. Uh, moving on, though, next one, definitely another one to sign, or talk about, staying on with Baltimore. They signed safety Eric Weddle, um, four-year $26 million deal. I actually wrote, or read the article um, that Weddle did with Bleach Report, giving them an all-access pass into his offseason. Um, I will say, when you learn about the traditions that Weddle had in San Diego, particularly with Phillip Rivers and how the team really did go about this whole situation, I, I feel for a guy like Eric. He's a stand-up player. He's never had issues. He's, he's an unbelievably good guy, um, and reading how he went about the decision, I'm really happy for him. I'm happy for the Ravens. They get a quality player, the best safety they've had since Ed Reed. Um, and and Weddle joins a team that, in my opinion, fits his personality in terms of a, a winning culture, a confident culture, but a culture that's not, you know, it's not the 2000 Ravens anymore. The Ravens have become a team that, for the most part, are, are a solid organization with, with Coach Harbaugh, uh, GM Ozzie Newsom, obviously, arguably the best GM in the game. Um, 
and Steve Biscotti ownership from the top down. It's, it's a great organization. So I'm really happy for Weddle. Um, if you have the time, guys, I would definitely check out the article. It's on Bleacher Report. Um, it gives you an all-inside-access look into what Weddle went through for the first time in his career going into the offseason as a free agent. Um, it was definitely a very interesting piece, very interesting piece. Uh, moving on, though, uh, real quick, so there's definitely some, still some names I would like to get to before the end of the show. Um, Dave, you saw you got Lamar Miller leave town, head over to the Houston Texans, four-year, $26 million deal. Um, do you think that the Dolphins made a mistake in not bringing him back? Absolutely. I think uh, it was just terrible that they only lost him to maybe a million or two more of what they now offered. Um, Lamar Miller was one of those guys that played pretty well on a pretty bad offensive line. Um, I think Lamar Miller got it done. To keep him in Miami would have been great, uh, continuing to build him up and continuing to build Jay Ajayi up, which I think is the guy now, unless they go out and draft someone or get someone else that's in the free agent pool. There's still a lot of decent names out there. But I think they made a mistake not re-signing him, uh, especially that coming into the offseason, a lot of people said, well, Olivier Vernon or Lamar Miller. Well, guess what? We lost both of them. So Miami not going after Lamar Miller kind of disheartened me a little bit that they didn't try harder. Um, apparently, they're just a few million dollars off. Why can't you go in between those few million and step up to them to show loyalty to him and, you know, the fan base? But guess what? We lost both, and it kind of stings a little bit. Hey, man, I can definitely understand that. It definitely – Miami always seems set up to go about the offseason in the right way, but they always seem to make a couple of moves that leave you scratching your head. Um, <clears throat> moving on, though, we've got – the the continued uh, Bronco um, exodus with Danny Trevathan leaving town, heading to Chicago Bears, planter John Fox, former coach. Uh, Travis Benjamin, again, part of the Cleveland exodus. Leaving, you go to San Diego, though. I have to say, honestly, that one right there, one of my favorite signings of the offseason. Um, the, the Chargers have worked with, not to use this offensively against any of their previous receivers or current receivers, but a bit of a ragtag bunch of older veterans past their prime and one solid guy. That seems to have always been their formula, and it's not worked. So I like the addition of Benjamin alongside Keenan Allen. Antonio Gates is back. Um, I, I, I definitely like that signing. Um, and then you got Jeremy Lane, who returned to the Hawks. Chase Daniel leaving Kansas City to follow his, his OC um, and, and our coach in Doug Peterson. Three-year, $21 million deal. Yeah, way too rich for my blood. Um, but the the one thing that I want to ask you about um, after, real quick, Ladarius Green left for Pittsburgh, Pac-Man stays in Cincy, Robert Ayers went to the Bucks, And then we get down to Derek Shelby. Are you surprised that the, the Dolphins, of all things, you know, like you said, lost Vernon? Loss Miller. Are you surprised at all that they didn't try a little bit harder to keep Shelby from going to the Falcons? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Shelby was a pretty good rotational guy, but those rotational guys eventually get their chance to be the starter. It, it, I guess it was never meant to be. I'm surprised since we lost out on so many of these guys, um, that whole defensive line is starting to look almost brand new. Um, you know, we bring in 
Andre Branchin, you know, a guy that, you know, shown some flash. Um, we, we pretty much rebuilt our pass rush with a few key components still around, Chris McCain, Deion Jordan. Um, yes, Deion Jordan is still around people. Uh, you know, Cameron Wake's back. Uh, just a whole new to it, and plus Mario Williams, uh, which we haven't talked about tonight. Joe, I did want to ask you about one of the signings that kind of went under the radar that I think was one of the best off-season signings that I don't think anyone talked about very much. Okay. Uh, I want your opinion on Richie Incognito re-signing with the Buffalo Bills after he had probably probably the best season of his career. Rex Ryan. That's how I feel. I feel like Rex Ryan is is the kind of coach that speaks volumes to a guy like Richie Incognito. Rex doesn't take any crap. You know, players love him, but at the same time, you know, when Incognito had that bully, you know, cloud over his shoulder, a guy like Rex Ryan is the right kind of guy to put you in your place and say, hey, what, you're no better than anybody else, kid, but you are a darn good football player, so go out there and prove it. And I loved the deal. He blossomed in that line. He helped improve that line tremendously last year. Bill tag Cordy Glenn, who will stay and continue to be part of that left side anchor. So that was an incredibly nice deal for the Bills, too. But I definitely thought the incognito signing, he came cheap. He even said he, he took less to stay in town. And I think it speaks volumes about the type of player coach that Rex Ryan is. He may not always be the most successful when it comes to being, I think, adored by his players, except for apparently Mario Williams. Apparently. He seems to be held in high regard by a lot of guys that have played for him. So I think it was, I agree with you, one of the thriftiest signings. I mean, they got him at a bargain, an absolute bargain. I agree. That That was definitely a really good signing. Yeah, I definitely thought it went under the radar. And, you know, how teams build success is building through the offensive line or, you know, staying with guys that, you know, are very good for your team. That's why I'm surprised um, Cleveland didn't do more for Alex Mack. But here's also something that I've heard um, just recently, just since we got about three minutes left in the show. What do you think about the Cleveland Browns team? And I think a lot of people are doping this as this could be the next um, – yeah, you know, awful Saints team or winless, winningless Lions team or is Cleveland that bad or is it just a team that's you know in serious rebuild mode? No, that bad. Um, I think that the, there is a potential for them to have a one in fifteen. I could see them actually going anywhere from zero and sixteen to three and thirteen, but I don't see them getting anyone in three wins um, for a few reasons. One. You go back, look through the look through the shows. You tell me one time any one of us has bought into Josh McCown as a starting quarterback. Go ahead, I will wait. Um, the amount of like the amount of talent they let go, Benjamin gone, Matt gone. Um, the thing is, is, they haven't received a lot of flack for it. And I'll tell you why, and I'll try to be quick because we don't have a lot of time. I'm okay with it though. I'm okay with what they've done because I think this is Hugh Jackson and Cleveland finally saying, you know what, purge. Purge. If you don't want to be here, then go. If you want to stay here, then stay. We do not want anybody right now who does not buy into this organization. 
So if you don't want to go, go. And they save moves by cutting some players, and the players they cut have, you know, unleashed some, some pretty nasty things. But I think that this is important. I think it's important for Cleveland. They need to come in, and they need to literally, from the locker room and the turf off, need to rebuild this franchise, or they are going to be at risk for you know, moving again, leaving again, being buried again. You never know. Um, but I think that it's, it's very important in what they're doing right now. Uh, that being said, guys, we are running out of time here. We have got about 60 seconds left. Um, it's, we should be back on next week, same time, same place, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, keep an eye out, though, for some very important announcements this year, guys. Um, we do know that this season has been a little bit different than years past. We thank you guys for being so supportive through all, uh, all the things that we've had to go through. Uh, Tyler has has, um, has had to take care of a lot of personal things, and I as well. Uh, pretty soon we'll be having to take a leave of absence uh, to take care of some medical issues. Um, so that being said, like I said, keep, it, keep a close eye on the page. Keep a close eye, but we are, we should be back here next week. Same time, same place. Going to talk more about the free agency moves we didn't get to talk about this week. Um, talk about the moves that are going to be made throughout the week. And obviously, guys, we're heading to our absolute favorite time of year. Uh, the NFL draft will be heading towards April, almost a month, about a month and two weeks away. Um, month and a week and a half away, either way. Um, but we're super excited. And uh, as always, guys, we appreciate everything you do for us. It's the reason we do this show for. So, so for David West and myself, the direct snap wishes you a great night. Take care, everyone.